You're listening to Grand Rounds Nation on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Presenting the best Grand Rounds from across the country, I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz. In this episode, we're continuing a recent session from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in Atlanta, Georgia, titled Reducing the Burden of HPV-Associated Cancer and Disease. I'd like to introduce our next speaker, Shannon Stokely. Thank you and good afternoon. Today I'll describe the U.S. vaccination program and then review HPV vaccination coverage levels among adolescents in the U.S. and finally summarize some of the factors contributing to less than optimal vaccination coverage levels. And within the U.S., HPV is just one of several vaccines that are recommended for adolescents, with the other vaccines being Tdap, meningococcal conjugate vaccine, and an annual influenza vaccine. And the majority of vaccines are administered by primary care providers, including pediatricians and family physicians, and also by publicly funded clinics, including federally qualified health centers, rural health clinics, and public health department clinics. And the HPV vaccine is widely available, and according to a national survey, 98% of pediatricians and 88% of family physicians stocked and administered this vaccine. And the vaccine is also covered by most private health insurance companies and government insurance companies. And when discussing the U.S. vaccination program, it's important to mention the Vaccines for Children program, also called VFC. And VFC was enacted in 1994 by federal legislation, and the purpose of the program is to remove cost as a barrier to vaccination. And the program provides federally purchased vaccines recommended by the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices at no cost to eligible children. And these children eligible for VFC include those who are 18 years or younger, Medicaid-eligible, uninsured, or American Indian or Alaska Native descent, or underinsured, meaning that their private health insurance does not cover the full cost of the vaccine. And approximately 39% of adolescents 13 to 17 years of age are eligible for VFC vaccine. And nationally, there are approximately 44,000 immunization provider sites enrolled in the VFC program and provide VFC vaccine. So in the U.S., we monitor vaccination coverage among the adolescent population through the National Immunization Survey Teen, also called NIS Teen. And the NIS Teen was implemented in 2006, and in 2008, the survey was expanded to provide state-level estimates. And the NIS Teen is a random digit-dial telephone survey of U.S. households with an adolescent 13 to 17 years of age. And the strength of the survey is that all analyses are limited to adolescents with provider-verified immunization histories. And as of 2011, 78% of adolescents had received a Tdap vaccine, and 70% had received the meningococcal conjugate vaccine. But in contrast, only 53% of girls had received one or more doses of HPV, and only 35% had received all three doses of the series. And so each year we see gains of about 10 percentage points or more for Tdap and meningococcal conjugate vaccine. But for the past three years, we've seen very little increase in HPV, only about four percentage points. And this plateau in HPV coverage is concerning. There's tremendous variation in coverage across the country. And coverage coverage ranges from a low of 32% in Mississippi to a high of 76% in Rhode Island. 
and HPV is one of the most expensive vaccines available, costing around $130 a dose. And when the vaccine was first licensed, there was concern that many low-income teens would not be able to receive this vaccine. However, we see that vaccination coverage is significantly higher among girls living below the poverty level compared to girls living at or above the poverty level. And this is an unusual pattern and not something we observe with other vaccines. And we think this finding really highlights the importance of the VFC program to help provide vaccines for children who may not otherwise be able to afford them. And for one or more doses of HPV, coverage is significantly higher among black and Hispanic girls compared to white non-Hispanic girls. And for three doses of the vaccine, Hispanic girls have significantly higher coverage compared to white non-Hispanic girls. And similar to the results by poverty status, this is an unusual pattern with the HPV vaccine. And another important measure we evaluate with respect to HPV is vaccine completion. And by completion, we mean among the girls that start the series, how many actually complete the series. And nationally, 71% of girls who start the series receive all three doses. But while encouraging, this also highlights that 30% of girls who initiate the series do not come back to complete the series. And when we look at completion by race ethnicity, we see that black non-Hispanic girls are less likely to complete the series when compared to white non-Hispanic girls. And we're currently conducting research to better understand the barriers to completing the HPV series, especially among different racial and ethnic groups. And as mentioned previously, the routine recommendation for boys was not approved until the end of 2011, and therefore the data we have available to us really represents vaccination activities under the permissive recommendation. And based on 2011 NIS teen data, approximately 8% of boys have initiated the HPV series. And so far, uptake of the vaccine among boys is following the same pattern as observed for girls, meaning coverage is higher among boys living below the poverty level and higher among black and Hispanic boys. And now I want to briefly discuss some of the challenges with achieving high levels of HPV vaccination coverage. And this really is a complex issue, and there are many factors involved, but today I'll focus mainly on parental and provider factors. And so one issue affecting HPV vaccination coverage are vaccination intentions among parents of adolescent girls. And since 2008, we have assessed vaccine intentions among parents of unvaccinated girls. And each year, the proportion of vaccinated girls has increased, subsequently decreasing the proportion who report that they are somewhat or very likely to have their daughter receive the vaccine. And the proportion of parents who report that they are not likely to receive the vaccine within the next 12 months has remained consistent around 25%. And we don't know from the survey if this means that parents have no intentions for ever vaccinating their daughter or if they are waiting until sometime in the future to have their daughter vaccinated. And within the NIS team, we also ask parents why they do not intend to vaccinate their daughter in the next 12 months. And the main reasons include that the vaccine is not needed or necessary, their daughter is not sexually active, they have concerns over the safety of the vaccine or concerns over side effects from the vaccine, lack of knowledge about the disease or the vaccine itself, and no recommendation by the provider. And it's been shown in many studies that a provider recommendation is very important to vaccine acceptance, and most parents will follow the guidance of their provider. But when we have studied HPV vaccine intent or practices among physicians, we see that providers are less likely to recommend the HPV vaccine to their younger adolescent patients. 
and only 51% of providers strongly re recommend HPV for their female patients 11 to 12 years of age, and the percent who strongly recommend the vaccine increases with patient age. Communication of HPV vaccine during the healthcare encounter is also very important to vaccine acceptance, and several qualitative evaluations have been done regarding this issue. And common themes found from these studies show that the vaccine is often presented as optional, whereas the other vaccines are recommended. And also, some providers express mixed or negative opinions about the vaccine. And when parents express reluctance to the vaccine, providers were hesitant to engage in discussion. And finally, some providers shared the parents' view that it was acceptable to delay the vaccination until the teen was older. One last challenge I wanted to discuss was missed vaccination opportunities, and a missed opportunity is defined as a healthcare encounter where at least one vaccine is administered, but not all indicated vaccines are administered. And based on 2011 NIST data, among girls unvaccinated for HPV, 78% had a missed opportunity. And this means that the girl had a healthcare encounter and received a vaccine, they just didn't receive HPV vaccine. And if we could eliminate missed opportunities, vaccination coverage for the first dose of HPV could be as high as 90%. And of course, eliminating missed opportunities requires that we address the parental and provider attitudes and practices that I previously mentioned. It's possible to obtain high vaccination coverage for HPV given the current vaccine delivery system. So in summary, HPV vaccination coverage among adolescent girls is increasing, but slowly and efforts are needed to achieve high coverage, including addressing provider and parental attitudes towards the vaccine and improve communication skills among primary care providers and implement evidence-based strategies to reduce missed opportunities. And with that, I would like to introduce our next speaker, Dr. Amy Middleman. Thank you, Shannon, and good afternoon. Multiple approaches have been shown to play a part in increasing adolescent vaccination coverage rates in the United States. These approaches include the development of an adolescent immunization platform, defined really as a specific time period during which there is an expectation of vaccine completion, public policy strategies, and provider strategies, including those implemented at the practice level and those that are more specific to individual provider communication. One of the most important first steps in improving immunization rates among teens really was the creation of the adolescent 11 to 12 year immunization platform. This platform was first created in 1996 when the recommended age for the tetanus diphtheria vaccine was moved from 14 to 11 to 12 years of age. Since 2005, the CDC has added other life-saving vaccines to the platform, including the meningococcal, Tdap, and HPV vaccines, which are all recommended at this age. Influenza vaccine is recommended annually for all adolescents as well. Building a platform and creating a healthcare visit with an immunization focus allows providers to focus on disease prevention, wellness, and health promotion among this age group. In particular, there's the opportunity to provide improved, comprehensive health care, including screening and prevention of adolescent risk behaviors. In addition, these specific age recommendations for vaccination visits create a parental and provider expectation of adherence to establish vaccine recommendations. Once the platform has been built, public policies that support immunizations can go a long way in improving immunization rates. 
policy changes initiated by state and federal laws have been implemented to support HPV vaccination. Policies have included school requirements, support for the utilization of alternative immunization sites, and the support of insurance reforms to help strengthen reimbursement for vaccines. All states have requirements for childhood vaccines, and many states have passed legislation requiring vaccines from the adolescent platform for middle school entry. 41 states have a TD or TDAP recommendation, while 13 states require meningococcal vaccine for middle school students. In contrast, only two states, Washington, D.C. and Virginia, now have a school requirement for HPV vaccine, and both of these requirements have broad opt-out provisions. Seven states require that education related to the HPV vaccine be provided to patients and parents prior to middle school entry. Fourteen states have passed legislation requiring dissemination of HPV vaccine education materials to parents and the general public. Past experience with school requirements has shown great success at improving immunization rates, and recent research has shown similar results with respect to adolescent vaccines. A 2012 study showed that for both Tdap and meningococcal vaccines, states with vaccine requirements had significantly higher vaccination coverage rates than states with no requirements. Among states that had only education requirements for meningococcal and HPV vaccine, there were no differences in coverage levels when compared to states with no requirements. While school vaccination requirements improve immunization rates, education requirements alone do not result in similar improvements. It's important for providers to use those visits to administer school-required vaccinations as an opportunity to strongly recommend and administer any remaining adolescent vaccines not currently required in their states. Policies supporting the use of alternative immunization sites may also help improve immunization coverage among adolescents. The potential benefits of using alternative sites include the ability to not only immunize adolescents who lack a medical home, but to provide those youth with referrals to nearby facilities that accept adolescent patients for ongoing care. Alternative sites can be particularly helpful for adolescents to complete multiple dose regimens, avoiding the travel time and wait often associated with visiting the medical home for a vaccination visit. Alternative sites also provide expanded hours that provide greater access for adolescents who have very busy schedules with school and extracurricular activities. The safety of vaccination at alternative sites has been documented, and by using immunization information systems, information regarding vaccines administered at alternative sites can be documented and then shared with the patient's medical home. While many parents may prefer to have their child vaccinated in the medical home, various studies have shown that parents of middle school students are willing to utilize alternative sites to care to complete the vaccinations for their adolescents. In this survey of 1,838 parents of middle school students attending schools in low socioeconomic status areas, while the majority of parents were willing to use their medical home for immunization, 41% indicated that they were willing to use a school-located site. This is notable particularly because nearly all parents had had experience with receiving vaccines in the medical home, but very few of these parents had had the opportunity to use a school-located immunization program. The benefits of school-located vaccination are, are clear. There, a majority of adolescents who attend school can be immunized, and the potential is there to vaccinate a large number of adolescents. It's also possible to reach many adolescents who have not had regular access to health care. There are some challenges as well. 
adolescent participation may be limited to specific subgroups. There is a cost to providing vaccination in schools, and it can be quite high. It's difficult to build different health plans for immunization services, and obtaining parental consent was one of the most commonly cited barriers when school nurses were asked for their thoughts about school-located vaccination programs. But school-located immunization programs can be challenging, but among those who choose a school-located immunization program, HPV vaccination is desired. In a recent school-located immunization program, 522 middle, middle school students eligible for the VFC program were immunized. Among the 522 students immunized, 410 students received a dose of HPV vaccine. Insurance reforms are part of the Affordable Care Act and may also impact adolescent vaccine uptake by decreasing out-of-pocket expenses for both patients and providers. The ACA dictates that insurance, insurance plans provide first-dollar coverage for all ACIP-recommended vaccines when provided by an in-network provider, thus decreasing cost barriers for parents and patients. For the providers, an increase in Medicaid reimbursement for vaccine administration will help offset provider costs associated with adolescent vaccines. We'll return for more from this session of Grand Rounds Nation after a short break. <laughs> 